Let me just turn up my microphone now. That should be better. <laughs> Whoopsie doodle. Let's pretend that didn't happen. Now I'll sound a little bit better. Uh, I went to school for audio engineering, if you didn't know. So there you go. Okay. Uh, Matthew Alfier. 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 Anyway. Uh, with the Rangers having two first-rounders this year, who are the biggest risk and reward players they should go after? Uh, it depends on the range in which they are being... <clears throat> the, the, in the range in which they're picking. If I'm the Rangers... It seems like they're not really afraid of, of, of high-skill guys early uh, and really not afraid of taking big leaps. Um, you know, they love big, rangy defensemen, it seems, guys who can control the puck really, really well. Uh, so that leads me to believe that if you wanted to go sort of off the board, uh, someone like a William Wallander might be a, a good idea if you're late in the first. But at the same time, uh, they have not had the best luck with Europeans lately, and it might be scaring away Europeans. Um, you know, Leah Anderson might have a few things to say, but I don't know how much these Swedish guys talk to each other away from the game. Uh, if you wanted to go more North American, sort of risky off the board, I mean, if the Rangers pick up someone like Jack Quinn, that might be a decent fit. I think that, you know, they have drafted a lot of scoring forwards lately, guys like Kravtsov. Um, but the idea like down the road, not saying these two players are the same level, but Carl Henriksen or something, if he works out, is a good quarterback of a line, good playmaker and paired with Jack Quinn down the road might be something you tinker with. I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think of who the Rangers might go for. Cause they do like sort of bigger dudes from time to time. Um, you know, maybe the Rangers might go with someone a little more pace controlling like a Connor Zari if he starts to slip. Uh, Dylan Holloway might be a good ranger, good physical guy who has some good skill as well. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of good pickups that they could make anywhere in the first round, really, if I'm being honest. Um, but if you want to go like full send, full risk, if you're the Rangers, Wallander would be an interesting pickup. Uh, Jacob Perot would be an interesting pickup as well. So I think there's a lot to like with 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 the flexibility that I think the Rangers might have if they want to if they want to be a little bit riskier with their picks. I'm just going to pull up an entry draft board just to see uh, where the Rangers are sitting. If everything just... So 16 and 21. You might be able to get some good players at that pick as well. Like Noel Gundler, if he's available, could be a good swing. Um, you know, I mean, if I'm the the Rangers, I might also look at someone like a Lucas Reichel. You know, real good scoring winger, even though they've drafted quite a few of those. Uh, if they're looking for centers... Maybe they take maybe they take the risk on Maxime Lapierre at 21 and just say if he works out it's as if we had a top 10 pick and if he doesn't work out we already had a first round pick and we got it for trading Brady Shea so whatever um, maybe that's something that makes sense as well. Uh, okay, make Michael Rogers. I almost called you Mitchell. Sorry. Uh, hey, Will. I hope you're well. I am I, most most of the time. How would you mind sharing your top five? I hope you. Okay, let me try that again. Would you mind sharing how your top five would look if the 2019 and 20 drafts were combined? Sure. Uh, so I'm going to try not to be biased here based on the benefit of hindsight. Uh, I would think that I would have Lafreniere in in front of everyone. Uh, I would think Hughes as well. I think at number two, considering where his game was when he was draft eligible, might be a bit better than, than Quinton Byfield, but not by much. I'd put Byfield at three. 
uh, Rossi at four, and then Kako at five, probably. That would be my my top five right now. Um, but yeah, Hughes and Byfield might be one or one back to back in there. It's pretty tight. Uh, but but Lafreniere I think brings a little bit more even than someone like a Hughes does. I think Lafreniere will have no problems translating straight into the NHL and at least be competent, uh, which is not easy to do. Uh, so that 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 that's that. Uh, Tony Ferrari, Frig, man, it's always here. Uh, hey, Will, hi, whatever. Hope you're doing well. Hi, most days. Excellent work on the videos of late as usual. Thank you very much. They, I'm glad they turned out okay. Uh, how would you feel about Ottawa taking Askarov with their second pick in the top ten? You know what? With all the picks that the, the with, with all the picks that the team has, with all of the good talent that should be available, with all the picks they have in that range in the second round, especially, it wouldn't shock me. Um, they haven't drafted a Russian in I think twelve, thirteen years, something like that. So I don't think it's particularly likely. Um, just based on historical precedent. And I don't think that's changed in terms of drafting guys out of Russia. Uh, and I don't even think they have a scout in Russia, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't know if logically it'll happen, but being reasonable, it's perfectly reasonable that it could happen. I don't really trust any of their goaltending prospects to be long-term number ones. Craig Anderson's pretty much done. I I don't know if he's going to keep playing in Ottawa or keep playing at all, but I don't know if he's going to, I doubt he would stay in Ottawa if he had the choice. Uh, maybe, but but I don't know. Either way, long-term, he's not a solution. Um, so being reasonable, I mean, if, it, if Askarov is there, you know, with their second pick in the top 10, it would be a ridiculously weird off-the-board pick from a logical standpoint. Like, they, they, it makes sense, but the Senators drafting a Russian that high, especially a goaltender, when they just traded up to pick up Mad Sogard would be a little bit weird but but my but it might but it might be a thing that that happens i guess especially considering how much how much capital they have to work with they can afford to make an investment that might not work out like goalies might not i don't know but it would be a weird it would be a weird one but probably not the worst pick even if they do it just blindly picking them saying let's go with the goalie and see what happens but i don't know it's going to be strange it'll be interesting to see who picks them up but yeah, not anticipating the Ottawa Senators to break their tradition of not drafting Russians. Uh, Philippe Bordelot. Hello, Philippe. Hey, Will. Hope you're doing well. I am most days. Kind of a random question, but do you think players should be drafted a year or two older than they are right now? It would be great for more accurate scouting and draft picks. Teams would have a bigger dilemma between choosing a player for potential or for or for needs as the players would be way closer to the NHL. There could also be a kind of exceptional status for generational talent like the CHL. So that's a decent point i could see uh i could i could see it making sense the thing is that you know i think teams if i'm a general manager i kind of like the idea of developing the guys that i draft like i like the idea of having feeder leagues that aren't my franchise you know like hockey's kind of unique in the sense of the nba really only has the g league like if you're undrafted in the nba it's really hard to make your way back in. And and if you are drafted into the NBA and you don't make it in pretty quickly, you can be in the G League for a long time. Uh, and it can be hard to work your way into the NBA system. Like you pretty much go straight into the pros and if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. 
the NFL, you can get cut the same summer you're drafted, it, and it could be all over. Um, the NHL, though, has a lot more flexibility where there's really good other leagues around the world where they're happy to send guys back, uh, tell you know, get them to work on certain things, you know, develop them into the brand of player that they want on their system. I don't think either is really wrong. I just get the feeling that you're also running the risk of turning into one of those leagues where you draft a player and like you said, there's less runway. So it's like, we're going to transplant them into our system. You know, the good thing about drafting guys and letting them develop is that you can also build interpersonal relationships for years before they're expected to really work as a team. And hockey is a team sport, you know, like basketball, you got to draft guys that'll fit into your system right away and, and chip in, which is fine. But also in the NHL, you're drafting seven rounds worth of guys. And if the guys are all 20 years old or 21 years old, you're going to really need a good system of managing all of those players. Maybe the AHL is just full of those guys. But does the waiver rules also continue into the future? Are they waiver exempt until they're, you know, 27, 26 years old, which is past their prime? You know, is it, it, it pushes everything back a little bit. Most guys are also past their peaks statistically at around 23 or 24 you know they they kind of hit their peak at that age and then they start to sort of taper off uh and so you'd only get a couple of years out of these guys where they're really peak level players so yeah you might have a, a generational status sure you could have exceptional player status for truly exceptional players that are 18 or 17 years old but i think that it would be it would create a lot of rifts that might cause issues but personally it's more that i like the idea of you get all of these guys together they grow up as players together they they go back to their respective clubs they develop you know you do events with them in the summer you know you you do camps all that stuff and and i just don't know if switching that to a system of okay you got to play in the nhl like right now is always the the best thing to do and if it's not that than sending them to the AHL and, you know, it, it would be a little bit much, I think, pretty pretty quickly. And there's a lot of guys who I think might be undrafted one year, blow the doors off of the OHL or the, the WHL, and would they be eligible for this exceptional thing? Like, how many people would be eligible? It would be interesting to see the experiment, but I'm not sure, uh, you know, I'm not totally sold on the idea of that. I kind of like the system in place where you can send guys to college or to, uh, you know, you, you can send them pretty much anywhere and sort of let them, let them develop elsewhere. And then they come back and sort of build on what they've, what they've worked on and, and you can be patient. Uh, okay. Uh, Sam Kohler is the next one. Do you think Oscar Magnuson has the goods? Uh, offensively, sure. I, I think he's got tons of skill, uh, lots of speed to him. He's a good player, uh, a lot of fun. You know, he's a guy who should get drafted relatively early. By that, I mean, like, I'd say mid-rounds is around where I'd really think about it. He's defensively not great. He's really sort of slim on his frame, but his frame, you know, he's a six foot two guy, which is good. Um, you know, good if you like the size aspect of it, but he's quick and he's skilled. Uh, you know, I like him a lot. I think that he's got weaknesses that you can work through. I have him ranked higher than most people, but I just am not sure that he brings enough of what he's got to to the table to be much higher than I'd say ranked in the second round. 
maybe I could bump him up the more I see him, but there are some defensive things that, that are a bit iffy. Uh, but he's a good, skilled guy who's a lot of fun to watch for sure. Uh, Addy Man. What's your superpower, Addy Man? Cool. Uh, hey, Will, first-timer. Welcome. What are your opinions on Carter Savoy? I've heard that Ottawa scouts are interested in drafting him and Michael Benning. Well, if Ottawa's interested in drafting both those guys, I let him. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of either of them. I Carter Savoy is a guy who I was really excited to watch uh, and came away more disappointed than, than most guys I've tracked this year. It, it, he's a, a guy who I think has a lot of talent but never shows it. Uh, he's a guy who I think hangs out in the neutral zone looking for offense a ton. You know, his team has a lot of talented players for that league, but I'm not a huge fan of the AJHL as a whole. You know, everyone is kind of on that league now because of Kale McCarr. You know, Jacob Bernard Docker has come a ways since being drafted, but I still think that that wasn't a particularly fantastic pick for them in the in the early rounds. I mean, look, Ottawa's drafted out of the AJHL before. They took Bernard Docker in the first round. And, you know, when I watch Carter Savoy, you know... Michael Benning later on in the draft, sure, you could convince me to take him. He's agile, he's got good hands, he's a great passer, but I feel like his foot speed and his agility and mobility is just not good enough. Not a very physical player. Um, So I'm not totally sure uh, about either of these guys, uh, at least not in the short term. Savoy, great shot, good skill, knows how to put the puck in the net, but boy, a lot of things need to happen in order for that to happen. And a lot of the things that need to happen are pretty easy in the AJHL. That, that's not a, it's not a very fun league to watch in my viewings. Um, there's a lot of sort of power plays and things that go awry in those games. Uh, you know, it's a bit of that sort of, you know, grassroots, tough guy, you know, rural hockey that is kind of on its way out. I, I just am not totally sold. And Carter Savoya, the World Junior A, when he had a chance to show off what he's capable of, I also was not thrilled with him. Uh, I just think that if he doesn't sort of put more in more often, he's going to have trouble in the NHL, I, I don't, or, or let alone the NCAA. So I don't know. Um, Benning, maybe if his skating can come a few steps, if he can get stronger, sure. But I always came away thinking that there was more in the tank that he had to have at some point. Uh, that I haven't seen yet. But if Ottawa wants to take both of them, go for it. <laughs> go go for it. Uh, Heart of Lad, hello. That's all I have to say to you. Hello. Do you think all the three defensive player of the... Do you think all of the three defensive player of the year CHL League winners are justified? Who would your overall CHL defensive player of the year? So you're talking about Ty Smith in the WHL, Noel Hoffenmeyer in the OHL, and Jordan Spence, I believe, in the Q. So... My vote would go to Ty Smith. I've always loved Ty Smith. I think he's been great the last couple of seasons. Um, I loved him at the World Junior as well. Not that that's the CHL resume. Uh, I like Jordan Spence a lot, but I'm not I'm not totally sure what he turns into. I like him, but I'm not totally sold. And I thought that he was a good defenseman this year, had a really good year. But I don't think it was on the same level as a Ty Smith. And Hoffenmeyer had a great year. Um, I think he's not as good of a defenseman as either of those guys. Um, but he had a great overage season, tons and tons of offense. He's a great, uh, risk taking defenseman who knows how to move the puck around the ice. Not the best skater really, but he's just evasive, good hands, um, good vision with the puck. You know, he'll be an interesting add to the Marlies next year. I don't, I don't think there's real huge NHL upside, but 
he I, I I always liked him with the with the sixty sevens, but my vote would be for sure for for Ty Smith. I really liked him with Spokane this year. Uh, if it were up to you, how many rounds would the draft be? Uh, you know, I think you could get away with adding a couple of more just because, but no, I don't I don't think that would be worth it. That's just me being biased. I I don't think uh it should be any longer but I also don't think it should be any shorter. Like, I think 217 names going off the board is a lot. It'll soon become, uh, well, add another seven, so 224. That's a lot of players in a given year. Um, and I think that teams and their reserve lists and, and developing players, like adding any more than, I'd say, seven or eight per year in the draft, it can get to be a lot uh, over the years as you add more and more players. I I wouldn't be against the idea of making the draft longer because I just think that it gives guys more opportunities to go off the board. It gives teams more opportunities to go off the board. It gives guys more opportunities to follow, you know, get better exposure to better training, better facilities for for more years in their life. Um, So maybe that helps them with their careers down the road. Uh, but you know, the, the NHL doesn't have the infinite resources to do that, especially 30, all 32 teams. So I think it's fine the way it is. You know, it, it, I think a lot of things depend on how individual teams handle it, but yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a prospect guy. So if you want to make the draft 15 rounds, I'll sit there and draft for 15 rounds. I like, that's why I'm there. If I don't have to forfeit a pit, I, a pick, I won't. So that, you know do what you will but uh, i'll be there the whole time i know some teams just kind of think of the, the last end of the draft as a bit of a throwaway but i don't personally uh so there ha um hello 747 as is uh thoughts on carson bantle big dude decent skill but i don't know i i don't think there's much there um i i don't think he's the worst you know, worst option if you're in the middle to late rounds. I don't have him ranked outside of my watch list. I I think that the numbers look a lot better than the actual results. Uh, Every time I've seen him play, he makes the odd nice, you know, gap control move offensively. He can separate himself from defensemen pretty well for a big guy. Really good shot on him as well. Um, But I'm always wary of really, really good players relative to their team on really, really bad teams. You know, there's been a few of them in the past who I've looked at and overvalued uh, just based on the numbers in front of me. And Bantle is a guy who I've definitely gone and tried to look at. And I I don't know. I think he has, like, good player on a bad team syndrome. Um, and I've seen this happen before. I, I, I think he's a, I think he's worth taking a look at. And, again, he should get drafted at some point based on what I've seen. But, you know, for looking just at his numbers, I mean, he's got first-round style numbers here. And I just don't think I see that out of him uh, at the USHL level. I mean, he's a big guy with good hands, and I think he can get away with a lot. Like, kind of similar to uh, Alexei Protas, who the Capitals took and who had an absolutely ripping season with Prince Albert. But he's a but but he's a big dude. He's a big dude, and he's got decent skill for a big dude, and he can move efficiently. And yeah, it's tough. To, to really gauge how that translates. Um, but I think he's a guy that does get picked at, at some point for sure. I just, I think that it doesn't really line up with the, the data that, I, that that's displaying right here. Uh, Tell Max 12, love the reports, keep it up. Oh, oh, I'm keeping it up, don't worry. 
Uh, patrons are getting a new one tomorrow, and boy, it's it's fire. Um, Ronald Sub Ronald Sabin. Did you make Power Rangers? I made might have made that joke already. Just wanted to express my gratitude at your awesome content. Your your profiles in the world. Thank you, thank you very much. I'm I'm glad that people are enjoying it. There's a lot of work that goes into this, and I start tracking in in August. Like late August was when I booted up my computer and started tracking. Uh, who was the first one I did this year? It might have been Marat, honestly. Uh, might have been Marat playing Spartak. Might have been Nikita Shuidin, who I haven't done any more games of since. But he's one that I do kind of want to circle back on. But those Russian guys early are the ones that I get a first leg on. And uh, it's a lot of work, but it's all worth it. It doesn't feel like work. So I'm glad that it, I'm glad that it, uh, you know, has translated to the public. I'm glad. Uh, Do you think that Dylan Holloway's team might, might for Licky goes undrafted this year? Probably. I haven't been, I, I noticed him a little bit playing with Wisconsin, but I don't, I'm not sure. I don't think anyone really on Wisconsin except for maybe Cole Caulfield and, you know, Alex Turcotte from, from most of the time, uh, were really in it, game in and game out. I like Roman Hassan. Um, he's good. I liked him a lot, but I'm not sure uh, about much of anyone. And a lot of that might be due to their defense group not being super mobile and, and being a little bit tough to read, but I don't know. That was a hard team to watch, a uh, hard team to read, and... I don't personally see it, but you never know. Uh, where do you have Groshev ranked? I'll tell you. I really like Groshev. I, I don't think he's got huge potential, but but as like a bottom six energy guy, hard working guy who has good metrics that I've tracked, surprisingly, uh, he's a decent option. I mean, I have him ranked in the third round, 77th, so a bit higher than, than most people. And and I would think about using an early third on him, you know, higher than 77. And if you've got a lot of speed and skill in your lineup and you just want a bit more oomph, but not without, you know, without sacrificing offensive ability, because Groshev does do some things offensively. You know, he doesn't pass the puck a whole lot, but when he does pass the puck, he's passing it to the slot. I think I'm just going to pull him up now. Um... So Maxim Groshev, there he is. There you are. So his shot differentials are awful. Uh, they're just awful. Uh, but he's completing 80% of his passes and a third of them are to the slot. Now again, that per 60 minutes, he's not doing a tremendous amount of that. He's dumping the puck a lot as well. His offensive controlled percentage is 45%, which is not great. Um, but he's playing in the KHL and, and he played full-time minutes. He was playing 36 games this year, which is fine. Uh, I, I just think that in the mid rounds of the draft, he'd be an interesting pickup if you want a different sort of flavor to your game. Um, but he is a guy who I do want to get to more games of, but I don't think he'll be getting a video, uh, unless the draft is like in September, but even then there's some guys on my list who I just don't have enough really to say that's really worth capturing on video. Um, you know, they're just kind of middling guys who, have you know the likelihood of just being middling guys like i'm more interested in guys ranked really high who i'm not so sure about guys totally off the board that i have good data on and and like or just sort of the guys at the top end that are gonna get me those give me those clicks um okay uh carter hey will could you rank the top three draft eligible forwards on the chicago steel yeah, sure. Uh, so Chicago, where are they? Um, I believe, 
I might even... Mm, I have Brisson first. Yeah, so Brisson first, and then Colangelo Farrell back-to-back, 59-60. I really like Sean Farrell, but I think his upside is kind of limited. Sam Colangelo, I think, is a good USHL sort of power winger, but I'm not sure how it translates long-term. Uh, Brendan Brisson, I'm just cooler on than most people. He just, in terms of playing the center position, it's really not my brand that I kind of like. He's more of a patient, pace-controlling, sort of middle-of-the-ice, neutral-zone centerman who just sort of facilitates play. I, I At least that's at 5-on-5. Five five. On the power play, he's electrifying. He's got an unbelievable shot. Um, but at 5-on-5, five five, he's not really much of a play driver, um, which is kind of... If I'm looking in the first round, that's what I'm looking for is guys who drive play at five on five. Second round, sure, all bets are off. I would happily, happily take a look at him in the second round, especially if I had multiple first round picks. Maybe one as a defenseman, one as a winger. Sure, I think Brisson could be a good, you know, middle six for middle six forward, center upside, and you plop him on a power play as a as a trigger man one day. And I think there could be an interesting player. Uh he's smart. He does all these little things that are that are really notable, but again, with the raw tools, I'm not sure just the the raw tools are quite on the level that that high high end guys might be. But and the other two guys, I think, are going to be decent complementary options one day. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I really like Sean Farrell. I want to think he's going to be phenomenal, um, but I'm not totally sold just yet on where his game's going to go once he gets to the pro leagues. I think he'll be a good college player, but I'm not sure about uh the nhl quite yet at least not for like a first round or or even early second round type player but i do like him uh outside of the first round who is the most driven player you've seen on the ice relentless on and off the puck good question heart of lad good one um outside of the first round <sighs> hardest on the puck you know ridley grieg is always really hard to, to, to watch like hard to watch what am I saying he's always hard on pucks a lot away from the puck and I'm just going off of my own ranking outside of the first round um you know Sean Farrell is a guy who's really 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 hungry for the puck a lot uh you know outside of that I mean Tristan Robbins when he's on he goes uh he goes pretty hard um who else uh Mitch Miller, when he gets really going, he can be really, really hard to stop. Um, so those would be the names that I would look at initially. Uh, Farrell, though, is a good one for like someone that's really relentless. Ridley Grieg, I think, works really, really hard on the ice as well. Um, in terms of resiliency and tenacity on the ice, I think Brendan, uh, or not Brendan, uh, Brett Burrard is a good one. Really hard to knock off the puck, really capable of some desperation plays that he makes look pretty easy so i like brett berard a lot um and he and he brings some of that kind of a flavor to the game but but sean farrell i think is the first one now that i've been talking about it uh the one that really sticks out is like go 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 all the time you know i want the puck uh type of player quick on his feet hard on guys uh and and just all around pretty solid um, with Tristan Robbins, I'd say thrown in there as well. Uh, thoughts on Martin Chromiak? Um, I, f- I feel like I get asked about him once a week. So Chromiak is fine. I need to finish my tracking work on him. All I've got are Slovakian games. I've said this before. 
there were some times in the Slovakian games I saw of him where I was more impressed with Marco Staka, who's a defenseman who played on that team with him. Um, you know, I think Martin Kromiak will be, you know, a good play facilitator on the wing. You know, you can park him high in the defensive zone as a breakout option. You know, if you want to run an offensive breakout through him as a conduit, you know, with some speedy centers or a speedy winger or or maybe even some speedy offensive aggressive defenseman, you know, where he can sort of take the foot off the gas pedal because that's kind of where he's at his best is when he can sort of slow down the pace of play, play more in the neutral zone, gain those transitions offensively, take care with the plays that he's making. You know, it's, it's, I don't think, I think there's a big risk of him not translating. He's a smart guy with good skill. Uh, but I just, you know, there was a lot of things in the Slovakian league games that I saw where he was getting exposed for a lack of foot speed, um, you know, a lack of strength on his frame. And that's in the Slovakian pro league. It's not a joke out there, but, but, you know, that's a league where if you're going to be a top end draft pick in the NHL, you should probably be doing pretty well. Um, you know, he came over to Kingston and sure they plop him on a line with Shane Wright and Zade Wisdom. And you know what? That's kind of exactly what I'm talking about. You know, it makes sense for him to be on a line with those guys. You park him high, park him in the neutral zone, get him the puck. He'll find Shane Wright, who is, you know, Shane Wright. If you haven't if you haven't watched him play hockey, you probably should because he's incredible. And you have Zade Wisdom as sort of the cleanup crew. He's a great player when it comes to grinding play down, playing hard, lots of determination. Might be another guy who I might add to Harda's list up there. I really love Zade Wisdom's game. I do. Uh, I, I think that he could carve out a role for himself as a really tenacious energy guy with good skill. You know, he can finish, and he kept up perfectly fine with uh, someone like Shane Wright with the Kingston Frontenacs this year. Uh, so I, I really like Wisdom, and I think that those two guys, Wisdom and, and Wright, really complemented what Chromiak was used as really well. I just don't know if Chromiak is a guy who, you know, you look at his data and you think, first-round pick for sure. And I don't see that. I, you know, second round pick, sure. I have him late second round. Um, I just, in terms of the style of play that he plays, I feel like that's something that usually gets exposed uh, or at least shut down pretty quick in the NHL. But, you know, if he can make quick decisions, spot line mates and just keep things simple and make efficient passes and, and make his plays count, then maybe he could be a good sort of contributor offensively. Uh, I, I just am skeptical based on what I've seen of him. And, and that's kind of unfortunate because I've, I've tried to give him a lot of rope uh, over the course of this season. Um, but like I came away thinking that one of the worst games I've tracked this year was one of his games in the Slovakian League. He wasn't doing anything. They benched him for, you know, 10 minutes at a time because he just wasn't there. Uh, it, it just wasn't great. Um, oh, Heart of Lad, my stream. Hmm. Anyway, okay, we're going to continue because Heart of can't use a computer. Ha ha ha. Uh, okay. Next. Um, <laughs> get some inline, inline blades, the best purchase I've made in a while. I've been meaning to, uh, I have to be very careful with my money, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> considering, you know, coronavirus and economic collapse. But anyway, that's not something we'll talk about right now. Uh, Nick DiSabella. Better bet to have more points in their first five years in the league, Stutzla or Rossi? Hmm. 
I'm going to go with, you know, I think I think Stutzla will have more success in his first five years in terms of scoring. You, it it it's really straightforward. If whoever drafts Tim Stutzla, if he seems fine enough to be in the NHL, you just plop him on the first line or top six if he's showing that he's capable with some other good, talented offensive forwards, especially guys who play down the middle. Like, everyone seems to think, if it's going to be Detroit at second overall, for whatever reason, and you, par- and you park him with Dylan Larkin for next season and Anthony Manta, for example, yeah, sure, I think Tim Stutzla could hit the ground running and hit score 65 points next year playing with those two guys. Sure, I perfectly think that could happen. Whereas Marco Rossi, if someone like the Devils draft him, and maybe he is NHL ready... It might be a harder road. You've got Hughes and Heischer already there, and he might be just their third-line center if he cracks the lineup. Uh, and if that's the case, then he probably won't score a whole lot, and the whole point of that would be for him to learn how to play center in the NHL. Rossi might be a guy who needs a year in Switzerland, and if Stutzla goes straight to the NHL, which I think is possible, if he goes straight to the NHL, then that also gives him a head start. Um, but if they're talking if we're talking about just their first five years in the league I think Stutzla has the potential to be one of the better pure offensive players in this in this draft um I think his defensive play is a bit underrated but I wouldn't say it's nearly on the same level uh as as Marco Rossi right now uh I really really like Marco Rossi um you know so I think I think that at the end of the day you're gonna have a good two-way guy as opposed to you know, like Rossi will be a good two-way player with good offensive ability for sure. I think he's got good scoring touch, good playmaker, but, but Stutzla, I think has that special sort of offensive skill that, that really sort of might put the puck in the net more for him than, than Rossi, at least early on. Um, but I mean, both of them are going to be good players. I think, uh, Mathis, we know what Maverick Bork can do with the puck on his stick, but how would you describe his play away from the puck? Uh, it's fine. Maverick Bork is a tough one. He's really inconsistent. When he's on, he's on. When he's not, he's invisible. Um, Kind of passive away from the puck. Not the most physically intimidating guy on the ice. I I don't mind Maverick Bork. I have him ranked in the first round, um, but I have him ranked at like in the mid-20s. I think that he's a decent pickup if you want like a middle six center down the road who's more focused on offense than anything. I think his defensive game is is fine, but nothing that really blows my mind. Um, it it's he can lose control of defensive play a little bit. Uh, you know, he he kind of tries to chase offense and anticipate offense a little bit. Um, but I don't I don't mind it. I think his offensive tools will outweigh his defensive shortcomings, though. Um, Ethan Cardwell or Zade Wisdom? Well, uh, let's take a look. I think I have Wisdom higher. Um, Oh, I have Cardwell higher. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. So they're pretty close. To me, it's a little bit interchangeable. And I think I'll put it this way. So if you want a guy who is extremely young like Cardwell, who he's almost a 2021 eligible, he, I think, has a lot of runway. I think that with his skill and his skating, there's a lot to like about Ethan Cardwell. I think he's a guy who could very easily have a huge year next year. Uh... You know, he was really good with Barry down the stretch. And I think having another year in the OHL, another two years in the OHL, he could at least become a very, very good OHL player. I think he's going to be 
uh, a bit of a long shot. He's got good skill, but I'm not sure that at this age he's quite got enough to be anything higher than, in my opinion, uh, a third-round pick or something. I don't see a team really taking the chance on him in the second round, uh, let alone the first. With Wisdom, if you don't want to take more of a risky pick on upside with 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 Cam with with Cardwell, sorry, someone like Wisdom brings more of a physical sort of tenacious work ethic side to the game to it. Like he's a guy who I think you know you plop on the bottom six, he'll play hard, he grinds the game pretty well, he can he can play with some skill, he can finish. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot to like about Wisdom's game in general. Uh, just in terms of how respectable it is. And, and I would happily, happily add Zade Wisdom to my team, you know, just to see what, what he can do uh, any, any almost anywhere in the draft. I have him ranked in the third round. And you know what? In the late, late second round, like the last couple of picks in the second round, if my scouts were really high on him as well and, and, I, and I had like a really good relationship with him and everything already, then I might think about it. But as a third round pick, that would probably be the highest I would be willing to to go for it. I, I like his sort of work ethic, but I think Cardwell, if you're a gambler, might have a little bit more in his game that might project to be a higher level. Um, but he's, I think, a bit riskier that you're betting that that's going to work out. Uh, are you still planning on doing that online mock draft you mentioned a couple of weeks ago? Yes. Uh, so I am going to be doing that. Um, I was hoping that we would have a more concrete date on when the draft will be um, because I don't want to do it too close to the draft. I also don't want to do it too far away from the draft like i need some solidifying factors to happen first but uh worst case scenario um i think what we're going to be looking at is announcing sort of the registration uh for next week by next week i mean next wednesday for the live stream um i'll give patrons first access to register if they want to um and after that uh, we'll probably do it the week of either June 3rd uh, or uh, during the live stream on June 10th. It's just a matter of like, when is the draft going to happen? And if it's going to happen in July or August, uh, I mean, sure, if there's going to be no other hockey until then, it doesn't really matter. We can we can jump right in and do it. Um, but it's something that I usually prefer, and it sounds like I've done this a whole bunch of times, but last year I wanted to keep it relatively close to the draft um, just so that it was part of the sort of the festivities around it. Uh, whereas now it sounds like we're going to have hockey before the draft after all. So I don't know, but it's going to happen. Uh, and I'll, I'll keep you updated for sure. So stay tuned on these social medias. If you're Detroit with the 32nd pick, which players would you trade up for if they're available 25 to 29? Good question. Um, if they're available uh, at 24 to 29, I mean, I might think about if Gundler's available, moving up a bit to go take the chance on him. Um, if someone, if I'm the Red Wings specifically, you know, maybe I, you know, if if Jack Quinn is available, maybe I take a look at him. Uh, I might trade up if it's like, I don't know, because I don't think that trading up from 32 to 25 even in this year's draft is going to get you that much more of a better player. I, and I don't think the guys in my top 15 are going to slip 10 picks. Like I could see, and I, and I have a lot of guys in my first round that I think will be available a lot later. You know, I have Lucas Reichel really high. I have Murat Kuznodinov really high. I have Noel Gundler really high. You know, if people are scared of Rodion Amirov and he's there at 25, then I would definitely, definitely trade up to get him. Um, I don't think teams are going to make that mistake. 
But if I have 32 and he's available at 25, that's a guy who I trade up to get. Um, but I'm not totally sure that for me personally, based on what I have in that range, that there you're going to need to trade up. Uh, you know, if Hendricks Lapierre is available at 25, I might take the chance on him and, and do it. But that's a big risk you're taking, uh, especially if you're trading up to do it. Dawson Mercer might be a good pickup if he slips, but I get the feeling that people are going to pick him up uh, pretty early. Same with Seth Jarvis. Same with guys like even Caden Gooley and Brendan Schneider, Braden Schneider. So who knows who's going to get bumped back a bit. But if it's Gundler or Amirov, um, then I would really think about it. Uh, guys like Mercer, maybe I would think about it. I think Jack Quinn's going to get drafted pretty high, but if he's available around 25, I might I might move up and do it, um, especially if I already have the prospects that the Red Wings have. So it's a hard it's a hard one to, to judge because I also feel like in this draft in general with the way that it's going to happen between 25 and 32, I think there's going to be a lot of players that are still available that you're going to be happy with and you won't need to trade up for personally. Uh, Ponomaryov or Kuznetinov? Kuznetinov, uh, every day. Uh, who's the most fun player for you to watch this year? Most fun? Ooh. Um, I have enjoyed tracking Marco Rossi the most. I've loved watching that guy play hockey. Uh, in a really sadistic way, I've loved watching William Wallander play. I think that guy has the potential to be a fantastic defenseman. Like, and I, and I, by fantastic, I mean like the whole point of this business is to sell tickets and like have fans and be entertaining. And like that usually involves some kind of risk in a player's game that is worth, you know, worth really evaluating and elevating to, to the top of your, of your, of your team's persona. Like someone like a William Wallander, if you coach him to be, you know, the aggressive, great skating offensive guy that he could be, then he could be a really exciting player on your team for sure. I've really enjoyed watching him play for both the good and bad. Like some of the things I'm just sitting here going like, what is happening here? Like what is going on? But there's so many times where you're going, this is awesome. Like this guy's just going to be so much fun. And either he's going to drive a certain group of people nuts, but he's going to make a certain group of people. I imagine the ones that trend younger, a lot, a lot happier. Uh, he's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and, and I've liked him. Other guys that are fun, like, I've really enjoyed seeing the changes in, in, in Tristan Robbins' game as the year went on. The more they tended to give him in terms of responsibility, the more he sort of rose to it, at least in an offensive sense. Defense stuff is a bit is a bit hazy, but based on where he's ranked, if you can get a Tristan Robbins in the third or fourth round, then you're laughing. Um, I've really enjoyed watching him as well. Alexander Poshin is also a lot of fun. I love, you know, these undersized guys that spook a lot of people. I'm not super spooked by Alexander Poshin. I think he's got a lot of talent and he's tremendous amounts of fun to watch for sure. Uh, thoughts on Casper Simontoval and where do you expect him to go and where do you think he should go? I like Simontoval. He's got a lot of talent. I think in terms of just pure talent, he's a first round guy. I had him ranked pretty high in the first round, but then the more I tracked and the more I really thought about it, I feel like there's a lot of risk. I think his defensive game is is really rough, uh, really not great at defensive transition control. 
you know, really relinquishes a lot of puck control to the other team. Uh, you know, really sort of passive defensively, kind of waiting for something to happen where he can get the puck and break it up. Once he gets going up the ice, he's great. He's a really, really fun offensive player. Uh, and when the puck is on his team's stick, he's a lot of fun to watch. But the problems are away from the puck. Like, And again, I say this a bunch of times. If you're going to have a good offensive player in the National Hockey League, I still believe that you need to be at least competent defensively. Like, you know, the, the give a crap thing needs to be there. And with with Simontoval, I feel like sometimes that's not there. Uh, I, I think that I, I have him ranked at 37, I think. And I don't really see him moving up much higher than that. If he was available as high as 33 or 34, I would consider it. But I don't think I would be particularly in favor of it. I think he should go in that range. You know, I don't know if he's a first-round pick. If he is, someone is really betting on the upside. And that's fine. I would probably think about doing the same thing, but I don't think I would pull the trigger on Simontoval specifically. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm not totally sure. Uh, but I do love the potential. The, like, the, just the talent is really, really nice. What are your thoughts on Ruben Rafkin? Ruben Rafkin, I mean, I'm if I'm honest, uh, just not a guy that I really pay too much attention to. I, I think that he is... You know, I've done a bunch of tracking on Jean-Luc Foudy this year, uh, and I've watched a lot of the Windsor Spitfires, and I just don't think, uh, I just don't think that there that that he's got NHL upside. He's a physical guy, chases physicality a lot, not a great puck mover, good skill I would say for someone that plays like he does. But you know, I've seen him cause plenty of turnovers by hitting guys at the blue line. Uh, you know, he, he's, and by that, I'm sorry, by turnovers, I mean like two on ones, odd man rushes, you know, unsafe loose puck scenarios, just not a guy that I think is someone that I jump at the chance to pick. Uh, I, I just, I'm not totally sold on what it is that he's going to be in the national hockey league. If it isn't, you know, a bit of a liability, I can see why people like him, but again, just not really my brand of, of hockey. Uh, are you a fan of Hendrix Lapierre? As long as he's healthy, absolutely. Uh, Mike Malloy, A plus stuff on the scouting reports. Thank you. That that's it's always good to have feedback. I'm glad. Uh, and actually, there's been a few people who have actually given really good constructive comments in the in the comments these days. I to I totally read all of the comments. I don't really I don't really think that responding to them all is necessary. But you know, there are some that are legitimately thought-provoking and really want to make me make better videos i need to really walk a balance of not making them 25 minutes long each uh i'm finishing a video now that the first draft was 20 minutes and i figured that that's a little bit too much so i'm trying to cut as i go and and remove some extraneous stuff that i don't i don't think is necessary um but at the same time i don't want to be too concentrated and too word dense i know that me personally i can be a little bit long-winded and I'm sure some of you know that, but you know, it's just so that I can feel like I'm getting the point across as clearly as I can. So it's a fine balance, but there has been good feedback. So I'm really, really happy about that. I, I always want to make what I do better. Um, and, and I'm always trying to think of ways to do it. And if anyone else, you know, has any ideas of what to do better then then I'm absolutely all ears, uh, as long as it doesn't involve wearing silly hats. Uh, maybe a tough question. Sorry in advance, but who are players you have ranked in the third round you would take if you look at for the Canucks? So, uh, yeah. So I'm assuming that means we don't have a pick until the third round. Who do we take? 
Um, I'm just going to look at the guys that I have ranked in my third round, which is this group here. Um, you know, Magnuson would be an interesting pickup there. I think Eamon Powell would be an interesting pickup for the, for the Canucks on defense. I think he's got a lot of potential. Um, you know, maybe, uh, a Ty Tulio would be a good pickup there as well for the Canucks. Um, hmm. Benjamin Baumgartner, I think would be off the board, but I think if you want someone a little more fast tracked, you know, he might only need another year in Switzerland and then maybe he can come straight over because I've loved him in, you know, I love his game. I think he's a great player. He's come a long way since last year. Uh, and, and in the NLA this year, he's, he, I think he's legit. Um, and, and it would be a bit off the board to some people, but I think he would be a good pickup, you know, outside of that. I mean, a lot of the guys I have in the third round are a little bit strange. Uh, I, I say that as I see the name Antonio Stranges, maybe you take a risk on Stranges, but I'm not huge on him. Um, I know Justin Sordiff is right in their backyard, but I'm not again, sure about what his NHL upside is. So I figure if it's your first pick of the year, you swing on, on the best talent you can find that you think could be the highest ceiling player. And for me, looking at this list, I gravitate towards guys like Magnuson. Um, I have Tyson Forster down here, but I, again, still question his NHL upside, really, at least at 5-on-5. Ponomaryov might be an interesting one. Um, But beyond that, Colby Ambrosio. There's a lot of really good ones in this range now that I look at it. Um, I know it's not a very direct answer, but the most off-the-board one that I think might fit the Canucks, kind of, is Baumgartner. You know, he's further along in his development. You know what you're getting in him. He didn't play a ton, but he still produced really, really well in Davos. His data that I've tracked for him is really positive. Uh, and and if he's a guy who takes less time to develop into an NHL player than some of the other guys in this range and you get him in the third round, then you look smart. And, and that wouldn't be the end of the world. I like Klubna too, but I think you could get him later. Uh, I like Staka here, but you could get him later. Um, Mashkov, you might be able to get at the end of the draft. Uh, who else is in here? Um... There's a bunch. Cardwell is in here. Wisdom is in here. Like, there's a bunch of decent options, and it'll be interesting to see who's picked and who's available for sure, because uh, it'll be their first pick of the draft. And if it's me, swing big. Uh, thoughts on Ridley Grieg? Hard-working guy, good skill. I like his skating, um, but he f- I feel like he's a little bit unrefined, like kind of flies off the handle a lot, like really out-of-control play. But you can refine that, I think. I'm not totally sure what he becomes i think he could be a good energy player hard-working guy um but i'm just not sure that it all packages together into being a really dynamic offensive player i think is a more you know hard-working grind the game down type guy who is pretty good moving his feet and has pretty good skill uh i think he could be an interesting pickup but just not a guy that i'm like thinking first round for but i believe he's in my second round if i'm not mistaken um yeah so he's ranked 50th for me and i I, i'm pretty okay with that um and and i think that just based on the hard work thing like if he's available in the third round i think he's a good high floor low ceiling type guy uh that that at the end of the road can just plop into your lineup and and be a good sort of team guy freeing pucks up for for line mates with some good skating and, and skill to him um when you when you're tracking do you track the whole team or just the one player are there conditions where you track the whole team I don't have the time to track whole teams. I mean, I, I try to cast as wide a net as I can. And what, what my goal is and my rationale is I want to know what the player is doing. So if, you know, I, I would, if I could track the whole team, I would, 
Um, but from my perspective, like I'm looking at isolating the player and what it is that they do and they don't do. So the team data that I do track is basically just shot attempts. So shot attempts and where they're coming from. And then the individual shot attempts are separate. And, um, and then the sort of zone transition stuff is also separate and passing is separate. Um, but all the zone transitions and passing and individual shot attempts are all the players specifically. And I really just want to try to build a profile of what's happening when the player's on the ice and what are they involved in. The rest, I think, is where the video comes in. you got to kind of highlight what it is that you're seeing and where those results are coming from. Someone like Orion O'Rourke has good results in my tracking work, but the videos that I'm pulling of him are not all that positive. I just, there's things that are in his game that I think he's getting away with a lot in the OHL. Really low pace kind of player. Um, you know, lobbing passes into the neutral zone that are just kind of bouncing around and maintaining possession. And to me, I think I went over this last week and I'll do this quick. Like to me, when I track passing, the idea to me of what a pass is, is deliberately losing possession of the puck in order to maintain possession through another player. That's what a pass is to me. So if you pass the puck and it goes into the skates of a defender, but you still maintain possession, it's a bit greasy, but on paper, you've maintained possession. Like, technically. So, you know, it, it nothing's perfect, but that's where the video comes in, and you can isolate situations and go, this player took a really unnecessary risk by making that pass. So it might look good on paper, but there's more context. Because if you don't do that, then you really get into the, the the situation of, well, did they intend to hit this player? Did the puck, was was the puck out of possession long enough to be a pass or not or whatever? To me, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm care, I care about possession. So that's my tack on that. So that's kind of the, 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 the gist of why I focus on just one player. Uh, most of it though is due to time and, and doing whole teams, I would not be able to, I don't think I'd be able to be as incisive with individual analysis. I'd get a lot of data on guys that frankly, I don't really care about. Uh, and it would just take up such an incredible amount of time that, you know, if I was king of the world, I would have a staff with players with, with guys who could track full games, uh, you know, I should say guys and girls, people who can do pretty much anything and track full games and get a big database going or just use a service that does do spatial tracking that does team-wide stuff like I think sports law, sport logic does now. Um, so stuff like that might help. Uh, but yeah, in terms of just me, I'm only one guy and I also have a day job, so I can only do so much. Uh, how did Cole Perfetti look to you this week? Pretty darn good. Uh, Cole B. Is that Cole Burfetti? Just kidding. Um, yeah, Cole Perfetti is a good player. I think people knock on his skating, but I don't think it's really necessary. Some guys can get away with it. I mean, guys in the NHL, not everyone is an unbelievable skater in terms of an NHL unbelievable skater. I think Cole Perfetti is an extremely resilient, all-around offensive guy who can protect the puck really, really well. Yeah, his skating is a little bit weird, but he's not slow. Uh, he, he just kind of p controls pace a little bit more, uh, and, and really knows how to sort of weave through teams and offenses and defenses, uh, and, and uses his edges really, really well. So I've liked him, uh, pretty much my rock solid guy at six or seven this year, I would say. But if he's available anywhere past seven, I take a really, really hard look at him. 
How much of an impact do international tournaments have on your reports? On the reports specifically, none. It's good for for context. So I like seeing when guys on lower level teams get bumped up to a higher level. Uh, I like when you know guys on teams that are really good get bumped onto a team that's international and and maybe not as good or they play less of a, less of a role. It kind of gives it puts them in a different scenario that's interesting for context, but not something that I always write home about a whole lot. Uh, and it definitely doesn't get into the data or any tracking work. Keith's French fries. Hello. Hey, bud. Hope you've been well. I am um, most days. Who do you think the Kings should draft with their multiple second round picks this year? Whoa, geez. Uh, well, it depends on who slips. I mean, the Kings aren't afraid to just swing on high, high potential. Like Jean-Luc Foudy in a Kings jersey would be scary. Um, you know, someone, you know, like if I'm the Kings, like Mitch Miller might be a good guy for the Kings in the second round. Casper uh, Simontoval, they seem to love sort of the fun picks. Uh, they're not afraid of overagers. They took Fogamo in the second round. Um, not that I think that they're going to go with someone like an Oxentiuk, um, but I do think that that they could have some good players available in that range. Um, but I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe they go with someone like a Thomas Bordalo. Not a decision I would make, but he's got a lot of skill. He's a lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, they went for guys though that seemed to have been slipping. So Kaliev last year was a big pickup for them. So maybe they take the chance on a Poirier if he slips out of the first round. Um, beyond that, I have no idea. It'll depend on who's available, and I think we'll all be super surprised uh, who's at who's available. Uh, ooh boy, ooh mama, do you have comparable players for some of the top prospects this year? Uh, I. Uh, can I pass that one? I don't really want to. <laughs> Sorry, I don't really want to do that. Um, especially because there's fans from all different kinds of teams in here. Uh, hey, Will, nice to see you live. Thank you, Michael. Who's the player you had high hopes for in his draft year that has disappointed you the most? Um, That's a good question. And I've been asked that before, and I still don't know. Uh, like... The one that makes me the most sad, at least he did until he was in the NHL, was Gabe Velarde. I was such a huge fan of his, and I still am. Um, but he didn't disappoint me. It's more like his injuries kind of really sidetracked him. Um, but if we're going to go back, let's just go back to 2010, uh, for example. You know, I really liked Marco Dano, for example. I thought he was pretty cool for a while. Um who is in here joey hishin was one that i was really excited for and he that was injuries though um who else i'm looking 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 um grigorenko i always liked mikhail grigorenko i'm not surprised he's coming back uh you know i don't know what's going on with the sabers but grigorenko i thought was an extremely good pickup um i've always liked him in the khl he looks great uh, but that is only the KHL. Uh, but he's a guy who I really liked going into the draft, and and, and he's been, I guess, disappointing. Um, whether or not he's 35 years old, whatever you want to believe, go right ahead. Uh, yeah, I liked Marco Dano. Kind of sad that he hasn't really worked out at all. Uh, who else? Um, yeah, like, I don't want to spend too much time doing this, but... Uh, Oh yeah, um, Nikita Sherback was another one. Again, a really high-skill, high-talent guy who just kind of couldn't put it all together. Um, so there's there's a few, but not, you know, not a tremendous amount, but definitely the guys who get hurt 
and don't really play are the ones that I am certainly the ones that I feel the worst for. Uh, so that's always unfortunate, but you know, sometimes these things happen, I guess. Uh, thoughts on Jacob Perot. A lot of fun, really, really good offensive player. Uh, his defense is not phenomenal. Um, but, but you can live with that. His offense is really, really good. His skating is good. His shot is really good. He's an underrated playmaker. Uh, I like him. I have him in my first round, obviously, like most people. Um, I have him a bit lower than I think. Oh no, a bit higher than most people. Uh, the average, I should say. So I'm a fan of him. I mean, I could be convinced to take him in the teens based on, I have him, I haven't ranked at 23, but, but I could easily put him a bit higher than that. Uh, why did Dustin Wolf drop to the seventh round, even though he had great stats? Because he's six feet tall. Uh, not a big fan of player comparables, but whose game would Strange's most resemble? Like a poor man's Jeremy Bracco, I guess. I don't, there's a reason, like, there's a reason you don't see players skate like Antonio Strange's all the time in the NHL. Because it's not, it's not, it's not a beneficial thing to have as a central point of your game. Uh, it can be useful in certain scenarios to open up some ice and, and take creative routes away from defenders. Sure, opening up your hips like that, opening up your feet, you can you can take crazy routes with your feet like that. Um, but doing it all of the time uh, without much really explosive speed to it, and you know, I, I just don't I just don't know. Um, but and I don't see the playmaking and and offensive ability that Abraco has out of Stranges really, uh, unfortunately. If somebody were interested in getting their foot in the door in scouting, how would you recommend doing that? It's something I'm really interested in doing, but I'm not sure to how about how I'm not sure how to go about it. Okay, so uh, I get this question quite a lot, and I'm not like an expert. I have by no means made it. Uh, I am still learning, and I think the first thing you have to remember and realize is that you will learn too. You are not a genius. Um, you might know your way around the sport and you might know how to play what a good team looks like and what a bad team looks like or whatever you might have a good grasp on that but it, there's a lot going on that i think you really need to 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 dig into and teach yourself so i would say one of the first things you should do is let the data come sort of second just watch games like the MHL is on YouTube and it's and it's free. And one of the most fascinating things that I used to do early on in this when I was really trying to understand the game in general, like really understand it, is watch really good teams play really bad teams. Like watch KRS Org in Beijing and their junior team play, you know, Omsky Yastrby. It's really interesting because you can sort of sit back you know what's going to happen in the game, but you need to really pay attention as to, you know, like a fascinating question for me early was why are good players good? Why, why are bad players bad? What makes a good player? What does good even mean? You know, what does a bad hockey player even mean? And, and what is it that, you know, leads to success and what leads to failure? And, and what is that on an individual basis? And what is that as a team basis? And the other thing you have to also realize is that in a lot of ways, scouting is very sort of taste-based. You could come away thinking, okay, like I, I love speed and skill. I love speed and skill too. Speed and skill is great. But 
there are ways to defeat speed and skill. And you have to know when you're ordering players and looking at them, who do you think could carry more value being, you know, special at what they're special at, at the next level. So I gravitate towards players who have something, whether it's, you know, analytical or not, something that is really special and that you can really isolate and say, this is what we want to foster and bring to the team. And, you know, how much are the downsides weighing against the positives? So I would say just take a step back from the game in general, you know, maybe watch a couple of shifts of one of those really good teams playing really bad teams and then flip over to an NHL game and then, you know, go to an OHL game or whatever, whatever you have access to, you know, hockey TV is a great, is a great tool. You could go watch some USHL games. You could watch, you know, triple A games. I, th- I think there's, there might be some on there. Just watch all different kinds of games from all around the world and try to figure out what makes players and teams good to you and what makes them not good. And then from there, the data can come from there. You can track guys. You know, it's pretty straightforward in terms of tracking what happens and when. You know, there are things that I don't track that that people very reasonably could. Uh, I just think that what I do is a pretty good encapsulation of how a player plays. So I think that you also have to be willing to present something different. You know, like there's a lot of people who are on the internet writing about these guys and and doing all of that stuff. Um, I have taken a different avenue in a few different ways. I'm not, you know, the king of the world at all. I don't, I don't want to sound that way, but you know, somehow you have to find a way to, to get started with it. So I would recommend take some time, take your foot off the gas pedal, watch a lot of hockey, really think about how it's played, how teams are structured, you know, how breakouts start, how offenses happen, how goals are scored, how goals are scored against you, you know, what a good team looks like, what a bad team looks like. Just get a really good understanding of what you're looking at in a game, you know, and and what you're seeing and what you're looking for. And then from there, maybe track some guys, look at some data, you know, basic statistical literacy also really, really helps uh, I'm lucky in that I have an education a bit in, in that kind of thing. So reading up about, you know, correlations and causations and, you know, uh, linear regression models and, and, and anything sort of beyond that, even if you wanted to, to get into more complex modeling, which even I haven't been extremely familiar with. Um, understand how certain metrics are calculated uh, and why they're important and and really try to understand you know, why the good data might result in a good player or why a, a not so good player might be getting good results because it is entirely possible. Um, and, and a lot of guys who are stats watchers get burned by looking at guys who score a lot of points because like Mikhail Shaligan last year, I was skeptical about him. I didn't think, you know, I thought there was a chance he would get picked, but he was scoring a ton of goals and it was a ton of fun. But there's a lot more to the game that goes on, and and he wasn't doing a whole lot else. Um, so anyway, it's not easy, and I'm not done personally. Like, I have lots to learn. I learn all the time. I'm wrong quite a lot, I think. And I think that, you know, this year, there's a strong chance that I'm going to be very, very wrong based on how I've ranked these guys because I'm doing it really without anyone telling me that, 
you know, I'm not doing this right or I'm not, you know, whatever. I'm not really thinking about the groupthink anymore. This is just kind of how I feel about the guys that I've seen and what they potentially could be. Some of these guys might fail. They probably will. But you have to be willing to form your own eye uh, and, and, and look look for what you're looking for and be strong in it and be willing to be wrong. Uh, Gus Katsaros wrote an article, uh, The Four S's of Scouting, I think is on McKean's. Highly recommended. Uh, if you want to actually start writing stuff and you feel like you're ready to, to dive in, Dauber Prospects, always looking for guys. And if they're not, you know, if there isn't an open spot, just, just they're willing to do it. It, they, you know, it's good exposure. I did it for a while. Uh, and, and it gets your sort of name out there a little bit. Um, and just be patient, just keep doing your thing. And if it works, it'll, it'll, it'll start catching on and people will, will latch on. Just present something unique, I guess, and, and find your own avenue. Uh, tell us about Helga Grons and where you would take him. Good, fine player. I have him at the top end of the second round. I, I think at five on five, his game is more defensive oriented, good transition guy, pretty quick on his feet, good passer. Um, just might end up being a good minutes eater on your second pair, maybe bottom pair. Just not totally sure of his upside. Uh, good power play quarterback, but you know, that's not really what I'm interested in. I'm, I'm more interested in five on five and, uh, he's fine. Uh, but I need to track more of him for sure to be, to be a hundred percent certain. What do you think of Artemov? 23 points in the K. Oh, uh, are you talking about Archim Galimov or something? I don't know. I've seen a bit of him. Uh, he's okay. I don't know. I think he's a decent KHL player, but not, I don't know. He, it's hard to read that kind of a scenario. I think he's a three times undrafted guy. Uh, I've never been extremely blown away with him, uh, from what I saw of going into this year by going into this year. I mean like going into the 2020, cause I did notice that he was scoring quite a lot. Uh, you know, probably will get drafted just based on his numbers alone, but I, I'm not totally sold. I just don't see much that I think is much of a needle mover. And, and in the KHL, uh, you can get away with quite a lot that you wouldn't in North America. Uh, Aaron release Shakir's scouting report. No. Joel Henderson. Hey, Joel. Joel Henderson, one of my favorite hockey people on planet Earth. Uh, what would be your philosophy for drafting in the sixth and seventh rounds? Do any available defensemen have particular value late? Also, you smell, love you. Oh, at least I don't smell as bad as you. You should see Joel's hair. It's pretty, pretty nasty. Uh, anyway, uh, swing big. Sixth and seventh rounds. Find guys you really like that no one seems to be paying attention to and, and swing big. Uh, defenseman that might be available late around then, uh, Victor Mancini might be available there. He's a really fun guy in terms of the data that I've got and, and where people seem to be looking at him. Marco Staka, uh, is another European defenseman that I really like. Uh, just a good responsible two-way guy with more of a defensive lean. Um, who else? Uh, Shakir Mukamadulin, LOL. Uh, Wyatt Kaiser might be a decent pickup if he's not picked up early. Um, total swing for the fences picks, Ivan Zivlak and Archeon Muralev. I like Zivlak a lot more than I like Muralev, but both of them are young with good data. Uh, Zivlak is a big, strong dude who's a good defensively, decent offensive tools, but not fantastic. 
Um, I like Miralev just based on how young he is, and and he's a good skater, good pace controlling guy. Um, Mitchell Smith is fun in the OHL, but he's gonna give coaches you know issues. I think in terms of how he plays, he's basically a forward, but whatever. Um, beyond that. Not a ton. I think this draft is relatively light for defense, but there are some interesting swings to take late. Uh, and Mancini definitely would be the one that jumps out to me. Uh, Zivlock is another one. Um, and uh, probably not Shakira Mukamadulan. Oh, and Marco Staka for, for sure as well. Uh, what do you think of Andre Bakanov? I'll have to take a look at him. I don't really recognize him. Who in the draft plays a really good pest role? Pest role. You know, Marco Rossi has a little bit of that to him. Just a little bit of an edge to him. I wouldn't call him a pest, but he can be a bit of a thorn. Um, who else? You don't see it a ton. Pers- at least not with really, really high-level players. At least not so much anymore. Uh, maybe a William Wallander has a little bit of that to him. Especially as the year went on, he got a little bit of a mean streak to him. Uh, but there isn't, I, I don't think I see a ton of it, uh, you know, so far this season. Caden Gooley is more of a physical guy, not necessarily a pest. So I don't know. I'll have to, I'll have to watch more, uh, of the, of the, of, of some of these guys to really get a gauge on that. But I usually make note of it. If I see it, I'd say Rossi is kind of in that realm. Um, but there are, you know, someone like a Wallander can be a bit of a of a pain. Um, Ilya Ovechkin, what do you think of him? Uh, uh, Ilya Ovechkin, I feel like I know that name. Ilya Ovechkin, so I've looked him up. Um, really young. I'll have to look into him. I have not seen a tremendous amount of him. Uh, he was undrafted last year. Played in the Kazakh Junior League, right on. Um... Not great production for a guy that went undrafted last year, unfortunately, but I'll I'll look into it. Uh, Lafreniere scouting report when? Probably next month. QMJHL stuff is really hard for me to track. It takes forever. Let's talk fringe players. Do you see Marco Staka getting drafted? I hope so. If not, I would do it. Uh, Ryder Rolston. I could see him getting drafted, but I wouldn't. Um, I think he showed a lot last year. Didn't have a great year this year, but uh, maybe. Maybe late, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't, but Staka, yes. How do you think Pod Colson looks after another year in the KHL? Did he improve a lot, and how confident are you in him in his development? I was always confident that he was going to be a good, complimentary, top-nine guy in the NHL. Tons of energy, really, really good offensive player uh, in terms of pushing pucks up the ice, but but there's, and, and solid defensively as well. But I think that, you know, he was good in the KHL this year, and and I think he's going to be a fine player, I think that another year will do him well, should play more as well. I just look at, you know, the the scoring and the point totals, and I look at Kirill Marchenko as well, and I go, Kirill Marchenko is more of an offensive-leaning guy than Pod Colson, but boy, is that guy ever good. Uh, Pod Colson, I think, is going to be a really, really good two-way guy, high-energy, great teammate-type player. Um, I'm still just skeptical of him being a real high-end offensive player. But if at 10th overall, you end up with a 50-60 point two-way guy who is really great in his own end, everyone on his team is willing to go to war with him, uh, then that's valuable, I guess. But but yeah, I, I like him. 
I'm a fan. Uh, just the offensive side of things was, you know, it improved. Uh, but I'm not sure how much it'll, how far it'll take him. But I don't mean to make that sound like it's a bad thing. Uh, it's just, you know, a bit of a question mark, but not a huge one. He's a good player. Michael Jang, man, you're handsome. It's the first time anyone's ever said that. Thank you. Uh, I like Hirvonen over Murat for the abs in round one. Dissuade me. <laughs> uh, I could see that, but I think that, you know, the thing about Murat is that you're aiming really hard. You're you're gonna you're really lining up that baseball to hit it into the upper deck. Uh Hirvonen, you know, Hirvonen is more of a guy where, you know, you might face a fastball over the plate and you hit it into the gap and you get a double. I think I think Hirvonen's gonna be a fine middle six guy, you know, not a ton of upside, but just a really smart down the middle guy, responsible in his own end, smart offensively. I think he's gonna get a few dirty goals in front of the net from here from from time to time. Um, you know, and I, I think there's a lot to like with Hirvonen. And if you want something more of like a sure bet, then yeah, Hirvonen's probably a good guy to pick up late first. But Marat, you're you're dealing with a lot of unknowns. But based on what I've seen, you know, you you could make the argument of like, well, we don't want to wait for Marat. We don't want to run the risk. We want someone a little further along. And I go, all right, well, if I'm wrong, then don't forget it. But if if you're or if I, sorry, if, if Murat works out, don't forget that, that he was a guy that I was pushing for. But if he doesn't, I've learned a lesson. You know, I've, I'll, I'll look through my logical reasoning there and, and figure it out. But I think Murat Kuznetinov is going to work out. But I think Ronnie Hirvonen, it's hard to argue that he's not further along uh, and that he shows more, at least in an offensive sense, in a more no BS kind of game. You know, front of the net, center, bang in those those second shots those rebounds whatever uh and play responsibly in your own end so maybe there's there's potential there for him and and i mean if the abs take him over Murat, i wouldn't be surprised at all i'm a Murat truther uh which is a bit scary dan what sort of traits would you look for in the later rounds just pure athletes or guys who may not be the best athletes but smarter players i don't really care that much about athleticism i care about how you play um if you're getting really really good results and you're late in the draft then yeah i'm interested those are the guys that i'm really interested in um i look for guys that showcase the the stuff that i'm looking for and and i look at results-based stuff that is you know how are they away from the puck how often are they facing shot attempts uh where are those shot attempts coming from you know if it's a defenseman who has a really bad shot attempt percentage total but it's a they have a really really good high danger shot attempt percentage or high and medium danger shot attempt percentage then i could say well at least when the player is in their zone of control they're not facing a lot of shot attempts that's great um and there are guys who can do that later in the draft that you can find moving pucks up the ice with control i just did the video on ofchinikov if you can get him in the seventh round he's a guy who's moving pucks up the ice with control i can't remember off the top of my head let me get it here um yeah if you're if you're drafting a guy who can get the puck up the ice with control 70 percent of the time and and you know 20 percent of his passes are dangerous and you know he wasn't playing a tremendous amount in the early half of the season and down the stretch of the season he had goal scoring rates up over seven uh per 60 at five on five then yeah i'm interested late in the draft like i look for results and and how they're driving those results and if it's good then i'm interested um and athleticism and everything like that's secondary to me i'm i'm more focused on just 
H-O-C-K-E-Y. Uh, have you seen Loser Points of Standing Points above, above Replacement Draft article? What did you think? I did. I didn't take a hard look at it today. I had it open for a while, but I just didn't find the time to read it. So I will be reading that. Uh, it was It was about like... Was that about each individual draft pick and which player? Anyway, I don't know. I'll have to go back and, and read it, but thank you for the reminder. Remy Boulanger. Hi, Will. How big of an advantage for some Euro players at this age who are able to skate and practice with a team for development to the draft rankings? I think there's a ton of upside in European systems. They've been playing in the same system usually for years and years and years. Uh, they have the chance to play pro when if they came to North America, they wouldn't have as good of a chance to play pro at all. Uh, they you know you can let them for let them sit in europe for two more years than major junior guys uh which is so silly uh but but i like the idea of european players especially outside the first round those are the guys who are historically undervalued you know european junior leagues to me are just as good in many ways you know they're very very competitive and that's why you see the world junior getting closer and closer every year uh and why you see some teams with really good cohorts you know really give the high level teams a a run for their money and why you see some hockey Canada teams maybe struggling more than people think they might it's because I think the rest of the world is catching up pretty quick uh and I and I'm excited because I like the competition and I really like watching European Junior Leagues so they have an advantage I think for sure uh hey Will which forward combo do you think will be what will be what uh more powerful next season right Chromiak or Kaliev Mashak any other CHL combos you're excited about? Uh, it'll it'll depend. Um, I mean, Kali of Mashak for another full season will be silly. Uh, Wright Chromiak. I mean, Shane Wright is going to make Martin Chromiak look like a, a god, probably. Um, same thing with Zade Wisdom, if he's the guy that's playing with them. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head of CHL guys I'm really excited for. Um... And it also depends on guys that come over in the import draft, if if any. Uh, like, I'm trying to think. Like, I'll still be interested in seeing if Nick Robertson goes back to Peterborough, uh, him and Durogachinsev for another year, if that's what's going to happen. Oh, no, Durogachinsev's going to be in North in, in pro. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'll have to I'll have to think about that one a little more. You got you got me on that one, Colin. Uh, Colin, who I just did a, a podcast with, that's coming out, I believe, tomorrow. So, there. Aaron, uh, what are your thoughts on Craig Button's recent ranking? Um, we were over it a while ago. In short, he has his opinions. Everyone's sort of aware of it. You know, certain parts of his methodology I very strongly disagree with, but that doesn't mean that they're worthless. Uh, you know. He's trying to anticipate who the best NHL players will be. I don't see how you have Stutzla as potentially the better NHL player than Byfield. I think Byfield, if he works out, is going to be someone you always wish you had more of on your team. Uh, Whereas Stutzla, I think, will be a great offensive, electric, skilled winger. But, you know, that's not something that's extremely rare. At least not as rare as someone like a Byfield who is, you know, real sort of Malkin-like in how skilled he is, how quick he can be, uh, and how great he is offensively. You know, I, I think that, you know, it's it's hard to really tell tell you that he's wrong I because no one knows right now. I just know that based on what I look for in players, 
A lot of it doesn't really add up to me. He seems to very heavily weigh international tournaments, uh, very heavily weigh things that he does broadcast spots for, which, you know, take that for what you will, but it is what it is, you know? Uh, Adrian Pereira, if you, were on any, if you were an NHL prospect, what player past or present would you watch tape on to improve your game? Well, okay, so that's a good question. In my youth, I always played defense. Um, when I got, you know, I always wanted to play forward. And I remember one time my coach said, all right, if you, you can play forward because we have a bunch of guys playing D and we're short forwards. So they put me on forward. I scored two goals. And then he put me back on defense before the end of the game. And I was like, well, okay, fine. But I was the six foot tall kid in a sea of 12 year olds. And, uh, so they just put me on D I'm still six feet by that, but, but by the way, um, so I peaked early, but I was the big kid. So they put me on D, uh, and I guess at the time, you know, like I loved Paul Korea at the time, but I was not a Paul Korea. Uh, you know, I also really loved Steve Eiserman. I had a family friend who was actually related to him. So I got to meet him at one point. Uh, I have a signed stick from him with my name on it. It's, it's great. Uh, so, you know, guys like Steve Eiserman were sort of those guys that I always really, really looked up to. Um, you know, and I, I just really liked that sort of work hard and earn everything you get type of play, uh, and do it at a really, really high level. So someone like an Eiserman, I think fits that bill, Joe Sackick. Um, you know, I loved Paul Correa for the skill that he had to the game. I loved Timu Solane. Um, but that's also partially because I loved the Mighty Ducks movies. And if you didn't, you're wrong. Uh, But if it's today, like if we're talking about prospects today that I really like to watch, you know, Elias Pettersson is one that I would really like to watch, you know, puck protection, you know, maintain possession. He's not the most phenomenal skater, so he kind of makes up for it more than enough with puck protection and using his body and and, and his his brain. Um, You know, I always, when I personally play hockey, try to not just follow the puck and just play as hard and as fast and as skilled as I possibly can. I tend to sort of try to anticipate play, you know, keep an eye on what's going on. Uh, but I also might just be lazy. So who knows? Um, but I try to use my brain a little bit when I'm playing rather than, you know, just raw, whatever limited talent I have. Um, so Pedersen is probably a guy that I, that I look at pretty heavily. Uh, and if I'm still playing defense, like if there's a defenseman in the NHL that I want to be like, like Ryan Ellis, I've always loved him. Uh, and, and he would be right up there. Who do you have in the top tier of the draft? Lafreniere Byfield. That's it. Uh, what are your thoughts on some of the U S development program players, such as Bordalo, Powell, Smolanich, Berard, and Clevin really like Berard, really like Powell. Bordalo's a lot of fun with upside, but I don't know if he has enough to make it work. Smolanich, I think has a bit of a, more of a floor, but a lower ceiling type game but i need to track more on him especially but berard and clevin clevin not totally sold on him at all but berard and and powell i definitely could go to bat for uh thoughts on sabrongo kind of similar to rafkin i'm not sure he's a guy that i take super high uh hey will love the evchinikov video great uh good to hear just wanted to know if you think there's a chance that lapierre never ends up making the nhl absolutely uh sure yeah, neck injuries aren't fun. Concussions aren't fun. Uh, he's missed a lot of time. Sure. But if he gets back to form and he's picked 26th overall, he could be a pretty big steal. Why so much hate on Maxim Groshev? He was pretty good in the KHL. Well, he was pretty good in the sense of like, you know, 
points. Um, but, you know, if you watch how he scored those points, it was pretty greasy. Usually it's him going to the net away from the puck and just slapping in a rebound or, you know, shooting the puck from the blue line and someone else taps in a rebound. I don't know. Uh, but he's a good player. Uh, I don't mean to sound like I was hating on him. Uh, um, but uh, he's just a low-ceiling kind of guy. Hard-working, high-energy guy who makes his passes count, but he just isn't super involved in KHL play a whole lot. But I do want to get to full seven games on him because production in the KHL at his age matters. And he played in the World Juniors, barely, but he was there. Uh, so he's one I need to take more looks at, but the more I see, it's kind of fine in the third round, I would say. Thoughts on Cade McNelly, best enforcer of the draft? Well, uh, I think the enforcer is kind of a silly thing uh, these days to really, really look for. He's a big boy, uh, but yeah, I I just think that that's not a role that personally I would want on my team. Uh, to me, the best enforcer is guys who can score goals. You piss my guys off, you come at my guys, well, they're going to, you know, fill your net. You know, that's the best way to shut up another team is you don't punch them in the face, you beat them, you win the game. And to me, I think there's some level of honor in that that is not contained in fighting people, uh, especially considering that fighting is against the rules and probably going to become more against the rules as time goes by. I just any any sort of enforcer role I just don't think has a point anymore in the National Hockey League especially if the player can't actually play hockey um you know if you have a high level high skill guy who also will punch you in the face go ahead but the last thing you want is a high offense high skill guy who punches you in the face and breaks his hand and can't be the same player for four months because his hand is broken I don't know. It just seems like something that is very silly in the sport these days to to really, really look at. Uh, who do you think the Red Wings might be targeting at 32 overall? Depends on who's available. Uh, you know, they went with Tuomisto last year at 32. Wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if they go with some other similar pick like Yoni Yermo. That would be a lot of fun. Um, but we'll see. It depends on who's available. Uh... Taboo Slayer. In the Ovchinikov video, you said something like late August children in a Russian junior league. Yeah, so he was born in late August. Uh, the the point of that is he's playing junior hockey in Russia, which is not a low-level league. Some teams are very low-level, but the good teams against good teams is pretty good hockey. Uh, and he's a late August birthday, and he drove incredibly good results. So the fact that I was trying to make, the point I was trying to make was that he's unranked, drives really good results, had a bigger and bigger role, and only seemed to get better and better. And that was it. That 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 it's pre, it's a pretty good profile to work with. Uh, so the point was just take a look at him late if he's available. Who in the seventh round do you think has the most potential? Depends on who's available. Uh, is there a tier within your tier two? Watching your Drysdale video, you seem skeptical skeptical about taking him over other guys in tier two. Yeah. So I've been thinking about splitting this up into half. Uh, right now, I would say like Rossi, Raymond Stutzla are two A. And then Drysdale, Perfetti, I think are kind of 2B. I have those guys kind of alternated. And then Lindell, Holtz, Askarov, and Amirov, I think you can just kind of order however you like. Um, but definitely Rossi, Raymond, Stutzler in a group, Drysdale, Perfetti, and then Lindell, Holtz, Askarov, and, and Amirov are in there as well. Um, also, thanks for sharing that article today on Twitter. I hope more people read it. Uh, I think the only one I shared was the one about the goaltender who... Uh, 
it was a pretty heavy article, but it's it's really worth you know it's really worth reading. Um, I'll I'll try to find it on my on my Twitter just in case you haven't read it. Uh, it it it's about you know basically you know expanding on Akeem Aliu's words, and you know I personally don't feel that I need to say a tremendous amount about it. I I you know I grew up in a very sort of multicultural city in Toronto. Um, you know, I am personally, I, I grew up, you know, I became a a person of a bit of privilege as I grew older and, you know, my parents earned their way to, to something a bit better for themselves. And I saw the results of what people who had that their whole lives resulted in. I saw, you know, and again, I'm not trying to paint everyone with the same paintbrush and this is a very sensitive subject but it is in in the news these days for sports i i i you know i saw things like what is being said about hockey culture in general throughout my hockey experience and that's living in toronto which is a very multicultural city and you know my experience with sports were that yeah hockey generally was very multicultural um but things where things kind of fall apart is when you want to take things further and the sacrifices your family has to make. And then that kind of exposes legitimate societal underpinnings that on a percentage basis affect people who are minorities a little bit more. Uh, and, and there are, and then through that, the higher level you higher levels, you go in hockey, you know, there are more and more people from a very specific subset of society. And it's not the most diverse group of people. And all of those things kind of create a soup where, you know, your kids and things can kind of get out of control very quickly. And I'm a really, really big believer in the idea that we certainly can do better. And I am not a person who really judges a person based on anything. I think some of the hardest working, you know, prospect writers and, and general workers in, in hockey are, are women and, and, and minorities. You know, like Caitlin Barry is in the United Kingdom doing a whole bunch of analysis on stuff. And I, I love her work. Um, you know, Alison Lucan in Columbus is like, isn't, is a, is just everything to me. She's incredible. Um, Megan Chaka running Stathletes is, is also awesome. She's been doing all of those conferences and really pushing things in a positive direction and elevating people, you know, as best she can. And, you know, I can absolutely see how the conditions that we're trying to work through can get created. I've seen it. Um, and, and it really is unfortunate that people did, you know, refuse to believe that it's real or refuse to explore the reasoning behind how it manifests itself and instead just thinks that everything is perfect and, and all fine and dandy when at the highest level of, of this sport that we all love, things can be a little bit, out of whack and misaligned and you know a lot of talk has been about how players aren't really speaking out or in support or whatever um and in some cases depending on how you read it doing worse um personally i know how i come down on this i know that hockey has some issues with inclusion and and you know especially at the youth level but i don't think you can really blame it solely at the feet of the kids I think that there's a lot of coaches out there who, you know, think they're Jack Adams winners and they're coaching 10 year olds and things can get really out of control, uh, you know, with that competitive spirit that a lot of people have that frankly coaches need to have. But there are ways of, of managing that. 
and handling things properly. And so, you know, the, the, and I, I, and the thing about that article specifically is that it really sort of sent me back to days gone by for me where I had friends who were dealing with really significant, you know, issues that, that I can't even really relate to. Um, and, and to read what this person was writing about his experience in sports and how I had friends who were in a similar boat and how I feel like in retrospect, I could have done better, you know, to, to help them through that, you know, and, and get them through it. And maybe it was sports related. Maybe it wasn't, but it's, it's really important to highlight this and hear it from the perspective of someone who could be anyone and say, you know, all of these things that were said, and even if it was a joke, all of these things that, that were going on that were, you know, made light of by staff or players or whoever, you know, it, it matters to the person it's, it's dealing with. And I don't think I'm in the position to say that person has no right to feel slighted by that kind of language or that kind of scenario. And, and I think that over time, I think that the trends are, are perfectly clear and they're unavoidable. So I think that, I think that this is something that will happen not overnight, but it will happen. And it kind of already is starting to happen. There are franchises out there that are doing a lot more blind testing of players. They're doing, or sorry, of candidates. You know, there's a lot more women getting jobs in the NHL, but it's a slow, it's a bit of a slow trickle, but it is happening, you know? And I think that we're starting to work towards a place where we can sort of build up things to be better. Uh, you know, last year I did the live stream during the draft and raised like 650 bucks for you can play, which is more than I could have ever really imagined. And you know, that, that's something that we'll do again. I think that that's a great thing that's doing force. It's a, for, it's a force for good in the sport. And I see no reason not to do something like that again. Um, and, and it's not going to happen overnight, but this is something that we constantly need to examine, you know, not jump down people's throats about but examine and and find the root causes explore why you know what can we do to be better and and i think that it's something where we have to be willing to work with people uh and 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 understand what it is that is you know affecting how this sport is is accessed by all kinds of different people um especially here you know for me in canada like canada is the hockey epicenter of the world and we still have trouble with, with stuff like this. Uh, and, and we still have trouble with even something as simple as getting people playing the game, you know, and, and, and it's gotten so out of control to me that I think that we could be doing a lot better on a number of different fronts. So, you know, I know that in my work, if, if I could, I would hire people, I would hire people to help me. It would be great, but I do not have the financial resources to do so. Uh, and I certainly know that I would not at all uh, be as close-minded as to shut people out based on any sort of factor that has anything to do with them as a person. It's just, I want good people, you know? And, and if I could, I would be hiring people. I'd be giving people work and I don't want to make you do it for free. So, you know, stay tuned, <laughs> stay tuned, I guess. But, you know, this, this is just to me something that is important to read and important to keep in mind. So I'll try to find it. And then we'll move on because I don't really know what else I can say. Um, here. I think this is the one that you're talking about. And if it's not, whoops. But it still is an important topic to, to talk about. Anyway. Um, where were we here? 
Where do you have Luke Prokop and why? I, I like Prokop. I have him late in my ranking, like fourth round. Good skater, pretty good shot as well. But you know, you'd be betting on his skating, and you <clears throat> you'd be betting on you'd be mostly betting on his skating. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where he gets picked. I like him. A uh, bit of a lower upside type guy right now, but uh, but I'm a fan. Uh, just a bit later in my rankings, though. Uh, excuse me, I need to rehydrate. Okay. <clears throat> What's your opinion on Perfetti, and how would he fit in the Devils? He'd be a great fit for the Devils. Um, away, you know, away from being a center, I think he could be a really, really good winger. If you just focus on offense, I think he could be a really, really good scoring winger. Uh, I think he'd be a great match with someone like a Heesher. You know, he's a great playmaker, great shot on him as well. You know, really, really good puck protector. And and I think that he could make a nice duo with either Hughes, if Hughes is the guy quarterbacking the offense, uh, or if, you know, and Perfetti's more of the finisher or more of the the the, the bumper option, sorry. Uh, you know, making those last, that last little passing play to get the puck to whoever's scoring it, or if it's going to be Perfetti scoring it. I think he could be that person for the Devils. I think he'd be a great fit there. I don't know about a guy who's like going to be a guy that you run your whole franchise through long-term, but he's a good player. Uh, Philip Tika, is it better to take Europeans in the seventh round since they have been scouted less and have some secret potential? Yes. Why don't you like numerical rankings? Because people just nitpick and fight over them constantly. Uh, and it's, and things get so razor thin that so much context needs to be taken into consideration. And, and NHL teams lists are vastly different from one another, I think. Uh, anyway, um, it's a long, it's, it's, it's not that complicated. I just think that whenever you put out numerical rankings without giving context as to how close that grouping of players is, it can get a little bit lost in the mix and people might misinterpret it. Like going back to Allison Lucan a little bit, one thing that she said at Columbus hockey at the Columbus analytics conference that has stuck with me literally every single day since I got home is communication and how important it is to efficiently communicate to your audience. And, and it's the part of the reason where you go, I might need to actually read the comments on the stuff that I write or the stuff that I make out because I might get annoyed that my audience didn't understand something that I was trying to communicate, but that's not their fault. It's not that, you know, it's, there might be some disingenuity down there happening in the comments and people are just being jerks. But if people genuinely are having trouble following what you're saying, and and your material material isn't really going anywhere then that's on you and and i take that fully in terms of responsibility and you know i think that that's a that's a really important thing that when it comes to ranking prospects it can get so opinionated and so subjective that you really need to present your biases and present what you want and what you like and 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 how you see things breaking out and I think that the best way to do that is to group players together based on a general sense of like their talent level and where you think they are. Because I think that individually, it's really, really hard to discern. But I do think that there are groups of players that you definitely could see being a bit of a step ahead in terms of potential and ability uh, than others. And I think that's a bit of a sliding scale. Like I could have, you know in a given year, five tiers or seven tiers or nine tiers based on what I see. Um, but, but to me, I just look at this and go, 
you know, who would I group together? And at the end of this, am I, you know, of the group above it, who is the last player I would jump at the chance to draft if I had a pick in the group the next the next group down? And then I just kind of roughly order it based on based on what I what I see and what I track. Um what site do you watch for videos of players? All kinds of them. They're all over the place, man. I wish I could you know, there's services out there for people like me who run businesses and everything that need this video stuff, but it's not perfect. Um, CHL live is still something that I pay for, which sucks. Uh, hockey TV is, is really good. I, I like using it. Um, the YouTube is good for the YouTube is good for Russia. Um, Svensk Kaki is pretty affordable for Swedish stuff. There's a Finnish streaming service that's also available, uh, that you can sign up for that you can get the junior leagues in and the Mestis. Uh, so yeah, they're out there, but it's not perfect at all. Uh, who are some players in your first or second round that other lists have ranked lower? Uh, Marat, uh, Lucas Reichel, uh, who else? Um, Danny Gustin, Alex Poshin, uh, who else? Uh, Jean-Luc Foudy, it seems I have ranked pretty high relative to most people. Um, VT Mietinen, Yoni Yermo, uh, there's a few of them. I have quite a few because I might be an insane person. Estuardo, hey Will, is there a prospect that wasn't playing in an ideal position and could have been a first rounder on a different team? This year, you mean? I think Jean-Luc Foudy on a different team would have looked a lot better, personally. And I think that if he was playing on a team or on a line with a legitimate bona fide goal scorer, then he would have been really, really filthy and nasty all season long. Uh, I love Jean-Luc Foudy a lot. I think he's risky, but I think there's potential. Um... So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him on draft day, whether it's day one or day two. Have you watched Thomas Holubna? What do you think of him? I like Holubna. He's speedy. He's skilled. He, he's been scoring against men. Um, not totally sure of, of what his upside is, but he's very young. You know, you can stash him in the Czech Republic for a while, so I'm pumped. I like him. I'm not, you know, hey, much obliged, Naraj. Thank you very much. Uh... Yeah, I, I, I dig I dig Holubna, but I need to see more. He's a guy I've wanted to track all year, but I haven't been able to yet. Um, I have him ranked, I think, in the third or fourth round. Um, yeah, third round right here. And I, I think that he's got potential, but I think he's a, he's a project, a long-term project. Uh, best names in the draft. I mean, William Wallander is a phenomenal name because... My name is William. Uh, John Jason Paterka is sweet. John Jason is a great name. Um, VT. You know, there's a, there's a VT in the draft. Uh, Shakir Mukamadulin is just a lot of fun to say. Um, Alexander Lundkrantz. You know, Yuso Mayanpa, if he works out in the NHL, is going to be so much fun. And his name is fun. So, and I hope that they put accents on the names in the NHL because that's what their names are. Um, and he has three uh, A's with the umlaut, so I'm all for that. Uh, names you have ranked high that could drop far. Poshin, probably, I think, could drop really far. Uh, Reichel probably will be available way later than I have him ranked, but Poshin being five foot seven, a winger in the MHL and in the Eastern Conference, back of the bus, buddy. Uh, I think he's going to go way later than he should, though. Do you think Rossi could drop to the Habs? Sure, I don't... It, Caulfield dropped to the Habs, so 
if Trevor Timmons gets his crystal ball out and worships whatever gods he worshipped last year to get Caulfield to slip, maybe Rossi is a Montreal Canadian at the end of this, which would be... Oh boy. Oh boy. Was Alban Grava worth the pick? He didn't have the best year. I still think he was worth the pick. I... He's he's he was always going to be a bit of a project, but I really like him uh, just for what he is. You know, bottom six energy guy. Sign me up. And where they got him, I thought was a good spot. I like Grava. Um, did have not the best year for sure. Uh, still needs to work on his discipline. Still plays like a mad person. But you know, if he can figure that out, I think he's going to be okay. Seth Jarvis or Jack Quinn? How much do you think Rossi affects Quinn's production? Rossi doesn't play with Quinn, so it doesn't affect him really at all. Quinn is a good goal scorer, good skill. I like him. Jarvis is a bit more varied in his offense, um, but they are somewhat similar. Like I have Jarvis ranked a bit higher because I think uh, in terms of moving pucks up the ice and in terms of being a playmaker, there's more to Jarvis that I like and his shot attempts, he makes them count from dangerous areas as well. Um... Excuse me, man, I'm, I got the hiccups. I, I, I like Jarvis, but Quinn, I think if you're just looking for someone who can score goals, which to me is not something I'm constantly looking for in the draft, especially in the first round. Like, I know goal scoring is hard, but there's more to the game, and I think Quinn is a decent bet in the first round to be at least a good goal scorer in the NHL. Um, but I think that taking him anywhere in the top 20 might be a bit rich for me, whereas Jarvis, I think, brings a little bit more in terms of you know, his his offensive game in general, he has a bit more variability in his game, a little bit, you know, better offensive transition ability, but but Quinn is a guy that I will be uh, tracking more of before the end of the year. So I'll have a better understanding of that moving forward. Thoughts on Brady Kachuk and what were your feelings going to the 2018 draft? You know, I thought Brady Kachuk was a bit of a lower ceiling guy. Um, I liked him in terms of how he played around the net. I knew he was going to be like a good NHL player, just rock solid you know banging pucks in around the net good shot attempts from around around the front of the net um just wasn't sure about his overall ability to drive play uh but in ottawa he seems to be doing just fine uh let me just take a look um you know like i think he could be perfectly reasonably a fifth you know like a 60 point guy uh you know he's at 45 44 points in his first two seasons you know, if he turns out to be like a 50-60 point guy who is great around the net, you know, really no BS offensive guy with, with that is not a joke in the defensive end either, I think he could be a really good player. Um, I'm not sure about, you know, like I was never sure about his upside. I thought he was a big reach for the Senators where they took him. Um, but he seems to be doing just fine. And and that's another one where I kind of have to look at it and, and bet on the the, you know, the things that drive offense, which are shot attempts from in close, which is what he did a lot of, um, you know, his play around the net was really, really dangerous. So that's all positives that I take that I take coming out of that 2018 draft where I could have been a little bit more, you know, optimistic. But at the same time, you know, there were some other players in that range that I really thought were going to be interesting pickups. Uh, and I mean, like Philip Zadina, I do not think is anywhere close to being done. Um in terms of his development. Uh, I think the Red Wings did the right thing by sheltering him in, in the AHL this year. Like, I'm just looking at the 2018 draft right now. Uh, Kachuk went fourth. I mean, I had Quinn Hughes at four, and, you know, I had Zadina at three, but my tier, I think, at that point was Zadina, Hughes, Boakfist. 
and they ended up going six, seven, eight. And I would have really, if I was the senators at the time, thought hard about Quinn Hughes. I loved him. I had him ranked fourth on my board. Uh, and Quinn Hughes with them right now would be quite something. Uh, Hughes, Brandstrom, Shabbat, uh, that would be wild. But Kachuk is a fine player. He's he's perfectly fine. Uh, thoughts on Ponomaria? Again, not sure about where he goes. I don't think he does enough to be really special. Uh, decent defensively, smart guy, but I'm not sure of his upside, to be honest. From your scouting videos, it seemed you had more negative things to say about Holtz than Amirov or even Gundler. Reason for having Holtz higher? Potential. Holtz's goal-scoring potential is ludicrous. Um, he scores a lot, and all he needs to be is, like, fine in the defensive end. But if you wanted to take Amirov above him, I'm all ears. I would be happy to have that discussion. Uh, but Holtz, in terms of goal-scoring uh, and, and his skating and everything, I think he has all the tools to make it work. Uh, but his, the data that I tracked on him at times was really just shockingly bad. Uh, and Amirov, on the other hand, was a darling and in a tougher league. So, you know, if you wanted to make the bet on the thing that you feel is more useful at both ends of the ice today, then Amirov probably makes sense. Uh, but, but Holtz, if you want to just take a home run swing and say, let's just take the guy that can shoot the puck like no one else, then go nuts. Uh, and the other one you mentioned was Gundler. Uh, yeah, Gundler just is about inconsistency, but I don't think Gundler's ceiling is as high as someone like a, a, a Holtz or even an Amirov, personally. Um, yes, that, okay, so that is the article you were talking about, Naraj. Good, thanks for letting me know. Uh, the root causes the adults that are around. Kids don't learn this on their own. They learn it from elders and project it onto others. That's partially true, I think. I, I think that other kids also don't help, um, but th that doesn't mean that the root cause is the kids. I, I think that it is... It, in some ways, it's a bit of an institutional thing. And um, I don't think we get enough education as kids in terms of how to manage, you know, things that your friends might be dealing with personally. I could be wrong. I, I haven't been a kid in like 20 years, so whatever. But you can talk to children about complex subjects and teach them right from wrong, even if it's a complicated subject. And at the same time, Things like racism and homophobia, especially in sports, are not complicated. Uh, it's pretty simple. Just don't do those things. And if you see it, you have to sort of speak up. And I think a lot of it, from my perspective, is for the kids, is that there's fear of retribution for standing up for someone who is, you know, in that boat. But I think that once someone stands up, the majority of people are in the same page. And... It's a tough scenario, and it's one that you hope you never have to deal with, ever, but you do in life. It, these are things that, especially as kids, and when I was a kid, came up and caused issues with people that I knew. And, you know, it's not, it's not easy to, to actually find tangible solutions, uh, or at least apply tangible solutions that, that are really, potentially, really big changes. But, you know... The stuff that's coming out, you know, Akeem Aliyu's stories and, and the, the cultures that I've been exposed to in my life, um, you know, and, and this story about this goaltender, you know, it all points to a story that there is still some things that are just not right. And I I fully agree that that, that, that hockey could be doing a lot better to bring people on board and get this sport back to being a fun, exciting, you know, 
diverse, you know, sport that anyone can play. You know, I, I would be really interested in, in companies that come out that really focus on budget, you know, uniforms and equipment, subscription-based uniforms. If, you know, the coronavirus thing gets over and done with eventually, maybe that can be done. I don't know. But I would really like hockey in general to be a little bit more progressive, a little more thinking outside the box for their solutions, uh, because I feel like there's a lot of, you know, we're going to do things our way and you're wrong if you don't. Um, and that bleeds into everything, you know, that, that bleeds into every part of the sport at every level, one way or the other. And I, I, you know, in my opinion, uh, I think it's making progress. I certainly believe that. Um, but you know, we need to know, like, I think we need to know when things are, are happening, you know, even if it was in 2004 or 2009 or 2015, even we need to know because, you know, you, everyone seems to agree who's been really entrenched in this culture that there are sects of it that are, you know, a little bit more regressive, a little bit more, uh, to use a strong word, hateful in some way whether they know they're doing it or not. There are parts of it that are. And I think that, you know, in order to fix that, it it, it requires frank discussions and people seeing for their own eyes what it does to people and what, you know, like the, the part, and the, I don't want to, you know, I guess I'll do like a trigger warning, but part of that article that I posted is it, it deals with self-harm. And I, I've, I've not personally, but been around situations like that when I was young and to see him say, you know, that he did it because he felt like he was doing something wrong by being who he was. You know, I don't think the people who think that this isn't a problem really understand what it's like to not feel like the person you are. You don't get to choose what you are, whether you're, you know, black, white, straight, gay, anything in between, whatever. You don't get to choose. And and to have people isolate you and treat you differently based on that is really, really gross. And it's really unfortunate that it happens. And, you know, for someone like that to see that that harming yourself is a way to alleviate that, you know, that 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 hits a tone. And that's a thing that that far too many people do. Anyone anything more than one anything more than zero people doing that is too many people. And to see him say and explain why I think is something that you don't hear enough about. So I hope that more and more people have the confidence to at least support these people and, and stand up and go, you know, there might, there might be something here that, that we need to discuss. Um, it's an important discussion and I, I'm not, I'm obviously, you know, in a position where I have a, 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 a bit of a privilege going on. And I, I do whatever I can to try and recognize that. I, it's pretty clear. But, you know, it, it needs to be highlighted and, and really examined and shared more. Because I guarantee you there's more out there of people who left the game or, you know, like Brock McGillis, for example. Just guys who, and girls for that matter, who left the game or were scared away from it. Uh, because of who they were as people. And I just think that obviously that's wrong. And I think that there's a lot of people who don't think it's an issue. It's not so much that there's a lot of people who don't think that that's wrong, but I think there's a lot of people who just think it's overblown. And I 
in my experience and from my perspective, it isn't. And the only way to show that it isn't is to have more people, you know, step up and say, here's my experience. Um, because while I was never in a locker room that was extremely similar to that, I never played super high level hockey. I was playing house league with, with all the other kids from all over my neighborhood. And they were literally anyone because hockey equipment was dirt cheap relative to what it is today. Um, and anyone could play and and it was really cheap and it was great. Uh, and everyone loved each other and, and whatever. But I feel like when you add those filters of competitiveness and, and exclusivity and money, things get a little bit haywire. So I hope that, you know, things are, are reflected on properly and, and, and continue to improve. Cause I do think that things are, are getting to a better place over time. Um, what is your opinion on the proposed, uh, 2014 playoff model? Do Montreal and Chicago really deserve to be in there? Boy, I don't know. Uh, I don't really care anymore. Like the NHL is just going to do what they're going to do. The season's going to be wacky and weird. I don't really care if they want to play with a hundred teams from Sweden and wear silly hats and shoes that glow in the dark and no blades on their skates. Screw it. Give it a go. Maybe you'll make some money doing that selling YouTube stuff. I don't, I don't know. Um, do Montreal and Chicago deserve to be in there from the NHL standpoint? Yeah, they kind of do have to be there. They have to be there. They're big markets. Sorry. Like it, they need the money. I think I am very surprised that they're pushing this hard. I get the feeling that because of like, I get the feeling that since you're hearing so much more out of the NHL, maybe I'm sheltered in the NHL's zeitgeist, but I feel like it's so interesting that they're pushing so hard. It leads me to believe that there are some teams that think they might really be in financial trouble if they don't at least play some games. That's the, the, the vibe that I get. So, I get the feeling that the 2014 thing is just going to happen, whether you like it or not. It's going to be weird. Uh, the rules that I read, I only had time to scan it, but they seemed silly, so they probably are. Uh, but it's going to be what it is. That's all. And and Montreal and Chicago are huge markets. They have to be in there because money. Whether you like it or not, this is a business. Um, it's weird, but such is life sometimes. Sometimes life is weird. I mean, look at the situation we're all in together. Okay, I gotta bang through these because I'm very tired. Thoughts on Jake Neighbors and Jack Finley? Not a huge fan of Finley, but he's a good defensive center with good skill for someone his size. How's that? That's that's okay. I, I haven't taken a huge deep look at him, but I wasn't super enthralled with the top prospects game from him, but he's young, he has good data, and, you know, he's good defensively, so... Sure. Uh, Jake Neighbors, I think, is a good do-it-all guy. Not sure he has enough upside to be a real impact in each other, but like a good chip-in guy who can play defensively and offensively pretty well. Uh, I, I, I like him. Um, once in a while, he pulls some tricks out of his hat that I really like too, so that's that's nice. But a guy that I haven't tracked any games of as well. Um, I've tracked a lot, but those are two guys that I haven't done a game of yet. Whoops. Emil Haneman is sick. That's my answer to your question. I like him. Uh, hopefully this isn't just the best year he's ever going to have in his life, um, because he was very good this year and has not been great until this year. So yeah. Uh, where would you place Jack Drury in this draft? I have no idea. Um, not a clue, unfortunately. Like, I don't know. I don't know. 
not sure about that. I'll, I'll, I'll do some research and follow up later. Some reports are stating that Jake Sanderson has made a huge risk these past few months. Has made a huge risk these... How bad would it be for a team to take... Oh, rise. How bad would it ta- be for a team to take him in the top 10? It'd be a reach. Um, I wouldn't do it, but I think it's possible. I think teams are going to see Drysdale go off the board early and go, shit, there goes that guy. Get the other defenseman. And in comes Jake Sanderson at six or seven. Um, not the decision that I would make, but I think it's entirely possible and quite honestly likely because I don't see any other defensemen that teams are going to jump up to take. Actually, that's not true. Caden Gooley and Braden Schneider might be all gone by the 15th pick. You know, like it's very rare you see the def- the NHL's defense. Like when was the last time... So looking at this, we'll we'll end on this uh, because I gotta I gotta take off. But so in 2019 there were three defensemen taken in the top 10. 2018 there was one, two, three, four defensemen taken in the top 10. In 2017 there were one, two, two defensemen taken in the top 10. 2018 one, two defensemen in the top 10. 2017. Uh, one, two, three defensemen in the top 10. So you're looking at very often two or more. Uh, two in 2014. Um, so Sanderson seems like he's going to go in the top 10. 2013, there were three defensemen in the first uh, 10 picks. Uh, and Sam Morin was the 11th. Sam Morin. Uh, Murray, Reinhardt, Riley. The 2012 was basically all defense in the top 10, but that's a little bit of a different case. It it would be the first time, and I'm trying to find the last time there was only one defenseman taken in the top 10. And it looks like, nope, Dylan McElwraith in 2010. Dylan McElwraith was a top 10 pick. Uh, nope, not in 2009. I might be here all night. Uh, 2008, nope, four straight defensemen. 2007, nope, 2006. Uh, okay, found it. It would be the first time since 2006 that only one defenseman goes off the board in the top 10. I don't think that's particularly likely to end. Makes me think Jake Sanderson's going in the top 10. Makes me think Caden Gooley and Braden Schneider are going to go soon after, if not also in the top 10, which would be bonker nanas, but who knows? It could happen. Um, all right. Uh, okay. Which, okay. We'll do these really, really quickly because I can't say no to you. Uh, which players would you target with the highest ups- offensive upside outside of the top 10? Who are guys that could be there 26 to 45? Uh, Gooschin surely has a ton of offensive potential. Uh, Poshin has a ton of offensive potential. You might even be able to get him later than 45. Uh, Lapierre, if he's available, could have a lot of potential. Uh, Lucas Reichel, I think, could be available there and be a good pickup if he's in the second round as well. Uh, there's There's a few of them. Usually scoring wingers are the ones you can bet on in that range to be good offensive upside guys where would byram rank if he was available in 2010 or 2020 um well if i have drysdale at six i probably would have byram at eight like between perfetti and and lundell you know maybe below holtz as well but not likely i think i would put him between perfetti and lundell sorry maybe below lundell so probably at you know seven or like eight or nine somewhere in that range seven to nine i would say uh nhl comparable for amirov i don't know uh part of me wants to say william nylander a little bit 
like good puck control guy, great transition player, um, solid two-way numbers, even though he doesn't look like he's good to at both ends of the ice. So maybe him, but that's just pulling that out of my, out of my bottom. Uh, what do you think the Leafs should do with Bracco? I think he's done in Toronto. I can't, what is like, he's, he left the team and I think that that's because he wanted out. He doesn't have much else to do in the AHL to prove that he at least belongs there. Um, but I don't think he want. I think he wants an NHL chance. And I think the Leafs are the team that are a team that tends to give guys a chance if they can't find them a role in the NHL. I don't know. I think he's a good AHL player, a very good one, but I'm not sure of NHL upside in terms of like real offensive impact, top six forward. Um, I have always loved him, always loved him. Uh, but when it came to five on five play, there was always a bit of a weakness there. Um, and just, you have to have that bit of extra skill if you're going to play like him. So maybe he becomes a third line offensive guy with power play ability, but I'm not, I'm not positive. Uh, how high is Lapierre's potential? Uh, very high if he's healthy. And with that, I'm out. Uh, thank you very much for joining me. This was great. Very busy. Um, so thank you very much. Um, (laughs) I know I've been trying to make these shorter, but I can't seem to say no to any of these questions because they're so good. So thank you very much for joining me. Um, I'm going to, uh, not use my voice for a while. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, if you, you know, if, uh, you know, the drill, click all the buttons below. If you haven't subscribed yet, uh, all the links to all my other stuff are down there as well. Uh, and, uh, finishing up a video, I was going to do it tonight, but that won't happen anymore. Uh, it'll be tomorrow and then filming another one tomorrow. Uh, we got another one on the docket coming up and, uh, yeah, stay safe, stay home if you can, all the best to you and your families. Uh, and 